Hey, I'm Gabriel Goldfeder. I'm a Jewish life consultant, a.k.a. Rabbi. More than anyone before him, Rabbi Nachman of Beresov talked about and taught about the path of heat bodedut. The practice of heat bodedut calls on a person to make time to be by themselves so that they can talk about what is in their heart at that time in the language of and at the volume at which that feeling and that experience needs to be expressed. It's important in the practice of heat bodidu that a person be alone enough to be able to vocalize everything they need to talk about, both in terms of subject matter and in terms of the amount of emotion that must accompany the expression in order for it to be sincere. In other words, a person needs to be able to yell and scream and laugh and cry when they're doing hipodidut, if that's what's going on inside of themselves. And people are simply less likely to do so if they're in the company of others. The word hit bodedut literally means self-isolation. The word bodade means alone. Lahit bodade means to make oneself alone. Understood by Rabbi Nachman to include both the requirement that a person find a location at which they can genuinely be alone and out of earshot of anyone else, and also that a person can experience themselves as alone without the self-consciousness that would come along with wondering what other people are thinking about that person and the words that are coming out of their mouth. I can say from personal experience that I often spend a not insignificant amount of time during Hippodidut trying to become alone, trying to identify some of the ears, as it were, that I am perceiving within my consciousness as if other people are listening and as if their opinions can somehow, even as I stand alone in the forest, that somehow their opinions will matter to me and will therefore infringe upon my capacity to fully express myself at that time. Rabbi Nachman writes about this practice of heat bodidut in a few select places. And then further on in of literature and tradition, it is explained and expanded upon. There are some places in which Rabbi Nachman addresses very direct questions about technique. But in Lesson 34, in the first section of Likute Maharan, his magnum opus, Rabbi Nachman articulates or clarifies the particular reason why heat bodidut is important. And he says, Nimtza, it turns out, this is in section 8 of this lesson, so it turns out, meaning what he has discussed in the previous section, A person must speak between themselves and the one that made them. Why? In order that the point that they have inside themselves, the unique point, the unique light which is shining within them, has to be allowed to shine or made to shine. And then a little while later, he goes on to say, After having discussed the importance of this self-isolation during which a person will relate to and enhance 
and shed light on the nikuda, the point that is inside of themselves. He says also a person needs to speak with their friends, the yirat shamayim, with the fear of heaven, meaning contextually a person needs to approach their friends with awe, with reverence. Why must I do that? In order to be able to receive awakening in my heart from the point, the nikuda, that my friend has more than I have. And he goes on to say, though this is not directly related to our lesson right now, I think his words are beautiful and worth hearing. He says, Because in this particular aspect, this particular element in which my friend has more than I do, whatever it is that the people around me have and do better and more than I do and have, that aspect, that element is called a nekuda, it is called a point. And there in that nekuda, there is love there. Which is called the kohen, which is called the priest. And then Rabbi Nachman goes on to discuss how both of these nekudot, my nekuda and your nekuda, are expressions of the overarching light of the tzaddik, the nikuda klaliyut, the overarching nikuda of all of Am Yisrael, of all of the Jewish people, which is rooted in the tzaddik, in the enlightened one, the refined person. So there are two nikudot and one meta nikuda, as it were, my point, your point, and the fact that there is an overarching source of light which manifests or reflects itself in my nikuda and in your nikuda. And from this, there is a Breslov tradition, there are actually two traditions about this, that a person has to have three conversations regularly. And the three conversations a person needs to have regularly are the conversation I'm having with God, as it were, by myself. There's the conversation I'm having with my friends. And there's the conversation that I'm having with the tzaddik, with the righteous person. And clearly, these are not just three different locations of conversations or three different interlocutors. Rather, these are three kinds of conversations that penetrate to varying depths and have varying styles and various levels of boundaries and various levels of disclosure. And it is important to note that it might be difficult to transition from one kind of conversation to another kind of conversation. And it would be particularly difficult or challenging for a person who genuinely and deeply finds themselves and feels most authentic in themselves when they are alone. Rav Cook, Rav Abraham Yitzhak HaKohen Cook, has some incredible writings about the dynamic relationship between his time alone with himself and his time that he is spending among other people. And before I read this and translate it, I'd like to acknowledge that Rav Cook was not not hanging out with people. He was spending a lot of his time during his day and during his life involved with the needs and concerns of human beings who were his constituency, as he was the chief rabbi of the state of Israel, and he was very indirectly involved with many 
kinds of concerns that they might have. And after I read it, I'd like to take a shot at adapting it towards something that I personally can relate to more. And I wonder if other people can relate to the way that I adapt this in my own mind. But here's Rav Cook in its entirety. This is from his journals. He says, Tamidei Chachamim, scholars, Heim kedagim micholim mina They're like fish that cannot leave the water. They can't separate themselves from the Torah, which is like water. And when they separate themselves from the Torah, immediately when they leave the water, they feel within themselves an a kind of inclination towards a spiritual fog. And there's an arousal within them even of a terrible evil. So this is real. The stakes are very high for these scholars when they separate themselves from Torah and they expose themselves to very dark feelings. And their relationship to Torah is not simply one of reading literature, but it's clinging to a life force. I'm adding this myself in order to explain Rav Kook continues, And the more that the level of this Tamid Chacham, this great scholar, is even higher, So too he cannot separate from the level of his Torah. Acknowledging here that Rav Kook is very much referring to males. To the point where the great tzaddikim, the great righteous people, that the level, the lofty level of their spirit and of their soul, they cannot separate themselves from cleaving to God and from the higher worlds. And when they need to be involved with revealed Torah, meaning non-mystical Torah, and with action mitzvot, functional mitzvot, and with the business of the world, among the society of people, even on the level of mitzvah and of holiness, when the great and lofty people, these great and lofty souls, need to engage with life on the ground floor here, they need to prepare them themselves protections. Such that it won't damage them when they remove themselves from their naturally high level. Which is to be cleaving to the source of life in Hashem, their God. And that's the end of the piece. And again, I want to emphasize that Rav Kook was not someone who was shying away from interactions with the world. He was doing so, so, so much with and for the people around him. He was so constantly available. Rather, he's articulating here the difficulty of doing so. The fact that it is difficult for him when he's been meditating in the highest realms, when he's up in the middle of the night and he's doing Hippodadut and he's alone and he's doing the midnight prayer and he's studying the Zohar and he's studying Kabbalah and he's meditating and he's davening and he's in a very, very, very deep place. And then coming down into this world 
it's a struggle for him. And he has to take measures in order to make sure that he's able to do so properly in a way that's going to not hurt him and perhaps not hurt others. Consider, as a similar example, the Mishnah telling us that the Hasidim Rishonim, the original pietists, the original pious people, would meditate for an hour and then pray for an hour and then meditate for an hour. And you could see that first hour of meditation as a way to let go and to become present. And that hour of prayer as being something incredibly lofty and deep and penetrating and intense. And you could see that last hour of meditation as a time to reintegrate, as a time to put ourselves together in such a way that we can then face the challenges and also be open to the opportunities of social interaction. Now, I personally don't know many Tabadei Chachamim. I don't know many scholars that are on the level that Rav Cook is referring to. I don't know enough people, and I would perhaps like to know them more. I don't know enough people for whom separating from the Torah for even an instant puts them in perilous danger. But I am someone, and I know a lot of people, who become involved in their own worlds, who become involved in their own way of thinking about things. And I don't think that's bad at all. I think that's fabulous. I think it makes perfect sense that all of us would spend time building a way of relating to the world, building a perception of the divine, for example, building ways that we can connect to our highest possible ideals. And then we go to board meetings and we talk to our kids and we pay bills and we go to the post office. For someone who is energized by those interactions, for someone whose primary way of experiencing expansiveness and divinity is through those interactions, that might be easy. For someone who is building an inner world for themselves, who's building a system or a heuristic or an attitude or an approach or a model in themselves, through meditation and prayer and learning, art, it can be more difficult. And Rav Cook tells us it certainly can and ought to be accomplished, but a person needs to create protection for themselves as they make that shift from one world to the other. So when Rabbi Nachman describes these three conversations, one between me and God, one between me and my friends, one between me and the tzaddik, we can understand and assume that there's another kind of work that would be required in order to facilitate the transitions between one and another. Friendship and solitude are both essential. If I bring too much friendship into my solitude, I might dilute the power of that solitude. If I bring too much of my solitude into my friendship, I might dilute the power of that friendship. Both are essential. Each of them is its own craft, its own art, and its own set of skills. 
and living a life in which I can do both of them well and I can maximize the benefits of each of them requires forethought, it requires self-awareness, it requires thinking, it requires communication.